I know something you don't know. Back off, man. I'm a scientist. I knew I should have taken that left point of Albuquerque. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're talking about a couple of things. I'm going to talk a little more about products and things that used to exist when I was a kid that no longer exist or that are obsolete, because that's the thing that fascinates me. And as I'm sure you can tell from past episodes, it fascinates me a lot because I talk about it a lot. But it never ceases to amaze me how many things that were part of my daily life when I was growing up or my daily life when I was a young adult and working. It never ceases to amaze me how many of those things that we just came to rely on as a day-to-day thing in our lives just no longer exist. What I'm going to add to today's episode, though, is also some predictions. Based on so many things that I've seen disappear from our lives, I have some ideas about what we're going to see disappear from our lives that we have today that I'm saying within, let's say, 10 years, they're going to be the things that people doing podcasts 10, 15, 20 years from now will say, whatever happened to this? So that's what we're talking about today. Now, a few of these things I've mentioned in passing, or I've talked a little bit in detail in other episodes, but I'm going to pull them together for this episode because this is all about obsolete things or things that we used to rely on or things that just simply used to be and no longer are. One of the first ones that occurred to me when I started putting this together was the busy signal. Now, if you've never made a call on a landline, you probably don't know what a busy signal is. Because these days, when you make a telephone call and if somebody's not available, you're going to get one of two things. You're going to get immediately dumped into voicemail, either because they're not available or the phone is not on, or they immediately dump you into voicemail. Or if they're on the phone with somebody, you'll get the ring, but you'll hear that little beep beep that shows that they're on the line. Sometimes you get that, sometimes you don't. But if they're talking to somebody else, you often get that little beep beep. When you're the one talking, you hear it for sure. Somebody's calling in, and you can always tell that somebody's calling in. But when I was a kid, and really for most of my adult life, up until the past 10 years or so, your normal call would be on a landline. If the person wasn't on the phone, the phone would ring, and you'd hear that ring sound that we all are so familiar with every time a phone is ringing when you're calling somebody up. I know, calling somebody up is kind of archaic. Most people text or DM now. But on those rare occasions when you're actually using your phone to call somebody, you hear that ring sound. When I was a kid, if they were on the phone, you got the busy signal, which kind of was an indication, oh, they're home, they're just on the phone, or somebody's on the phone. I don't remember the last time that I heard a busy signal. There's an entire generation of people out there who have never actually heard a busy signal. They don't even know what it is. And for me, that's one of those weird little things that you don't really think about until you realize... You know, I haven't heard a busy signal in over a decade. Here's another weird little thing. And it's not a daily thing that you do. It's not a daily little thing that you use. It's just one of those little things that was part of life that you don't really see anymore. It's television static. It's that white noise screen. There was a time when television stations would sign off the air. And what would happen is your screen would go completely white with little black flecks going through it. And it was like an ongoing blizzard. And along with that ongoing blizzard-like effect would be this hiss of static. (sighs) And if you turned on your TV to a channel that was off the air, that's what you would see and that's what you would hear. 
And I think it's called white noise because of the white screen and the noise that goes with it. My generation and the generation before us, we all grew up with that white screen and that noise that goes with it. And if you woke up in the middle of the night and turned on your TV at 3 in the morning, more often than not, you would get that white noise thing, that television static. You'd also get it if the power went out or your antenna went down. Yes, we used to have antennas to pick up the signal long before cable. I've talked about TV antennas before. We used to have antennas to get the signal. If the antenna went down, fell off the roof or whatever, you would get that white noise. You don't see that anymore. You don't see that because TVs are different, cable systems are different, and TV stations don't go off the air. And just so you understand, when I say the TV station went off the air, they literally shut the transmitter down. Two o'clock in the morning would roll by, the TV station would play the Star Spangled Banner, some video of eagles flying and troops marching and flags waving in the breeze. Then you'd get that test pattern, and then they'd flick the switch on the transmitter and everything would go white. And you'd get until 6 a.m. when they signed on again. Then they'd have a whole morning routine that they'd do. Roosters crowing, sun coming up over the horizon, cows walking out into the field. But they don't do that anymore. TV stations don't go dark. Cable channels just run 24-7. And if your cable goes out, what do you get? You get a black screen. No signal. I kind of miss the white noise. And you know what? If it wasn't for the white noise, if it wasn't for that TV static screen, the original movie Poltergeist would not have been made. Because that's how the Poltergeist got to us. Through the white noise. As long as we're talking about TV, another thing that is just gone, soap operas and game shows. I've talked about them at length in other episodes, but you know what? When I was a kid, sick, home from school, or on those sick days from the office that you'd take, it was actually really kind of comforting to stretch out on your couch, or if you were lucky enough to have a TV in your bedroom, to lie back on your pillows, turn the TV on, and just let the game shows play all morning. That was kind of the ritual. You would lie in bed, sneezing into your tissues, eating your chicken soup, and watch Bob Barker greet happy homemakers from middle America and try to help them win a frigid air. You can't do that anymore. There aren't any soap operas, and there really aren't any afternoon game shows either. Yeah, of course, you can put your DVDs in, you can put on Netflix, you can watch old episodes of Crossing Jordan or The Odd Couple, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. Another thing that we still have, but by and large they're obsolete, calculators. I remember when I was a kid, getting those calculators... Being able to press three or four buttons and get an answer to a problem, it was like the answer to a prayer. There was a time there weren't any calculators, long before there were computers, long before there were cell phones with apps. We used to have to do the math. We used to have to show our work. And there was no way to check it except for showing your work or learning how to use an abacus. If you were really lucky, you had one of those old-fashioned accountant-type adding machines. My dad actually had one of those that he got from his father, but we weren't allowed to use it because that was cheating. So the only way to check your math was actually knowing how to do the math. Then the calculator came about. Now imagine this for a second. It's a device about the size of a cell phone. Its sole function was to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. The scientific calculators could do things like algebraic functions and trigonometric functions and all kind of scientific equations. Texas Instruments was the one that put out the first calculators that I remember, and they were expensive when they came out. Now imagine that, just a little device dedicated to math. That's it. That's all it did. Nowadays, it's an app on your phone. It's baked into the operating system. You don't have to worry about bringing a calculator to your physics exam. You just make sure you have the app on your phone. Calculators. We don't need them anymore. Another thing that we don't really need anymore, for any number of reasons, the ability to read and write cursive. 
Now, of course, I can write cursive. I had to pass cursive writing in grade school. I've written cursive all of my life. I've written letters, love letters, hate mail, whatever. I've written it in cursive. I've signed my name more times than I can count in cursive. I developed the perfect cursive signature, at least for me. And I think everybody does at some point. I mean, who as a kid hasn't fantasized about signing autographs? I'm a famous movie star. I'm a famous baseball player. Gotta practice my autograph. And so you'd practice it and get the curls right. Decide how you're going to dot the I. Decide how you're going to cross the T. Everybody did it. Well, this is what my autograph is going to look like. But nowadays, you don't teach cursive in school. You don't learn to read cursive in school. And you don't learn to write cursive in school. It's something from a bygone era. And people don't use it. People don't need it. Most of the writing that I see, if it's handwritten, it's block letters. And I confess I do a lot of block letters and I write in all caps now. Printing all caps. I'll still occasionally write cursive. I still do have to sign my name. But cursive as a method of writing, barring an absolute breakdown of all the technology we have, we're not going to need it again. Now, the next few things are all related to the house. I've been doing some home improvement stuff around where we live now. And as I was doing so, I was thinking of the things that used to be fixtures in the house that just aren't anymore. This will be familiar to some, and others will say, what? What is that? Dark wood paneling was oh so popular. Paneling is a sheet of wood about a quarter of an inch thick that one side is just raw wood and then the other side is a pattern that makes it look like boards. That's the easiest way I can describe it. And wood paneling was a fixture in every home that I grew up with and in. My friends had it. My neighbors had it. We had it. Paneling was the thing. You would take these wood panels and nail them to the walls of your house to make it look like you had wooden walls. Except, of course, you didn't. The paneling was nailed to sheetrock. Paneling had the benefit of not having to be painted, but dark wood paneling, by its very name, is dark. It makes rooms look darker. You can get it in lighter colors. Well, I should say you could get it in lighter colors, but nobody ever did. It was very, very rare that you'd see light wood paneling. It was always dark, maple, cherry, occasionally mahogany. In rooms, in living rooms, in bedrooms, anything with paneling was always a dark room. So I'm not really sad to see dark wood paneling go. Same thing with the other thing that I grew up with. Wallpaper. Wallpaper is a kind of paper that some of it had a self-adhesive glue, some of it you had to apply a glue to, but what you would do is you would apply that to your walls. Instead of wood paneling, instead of paint, you would get wallpaper and stick that to your wall. And wallpaper could come in any kind of pattern. It could be a solid color, it could be a flower pattern, a nature pattern, it could be an artistic design, it could be a bright color, a dull color. It could have anything on it. It was printed in any kind of way you could imagine. You could get Victorian-style flowers. You could get 1960s abstract art. Anything could be printed on wallpaper, and often was. And my mother, God bless her soul, she had some of the most hideous wallpaper in our house. Not in every room. We had wood paneling in the family room. They had wood paneling in their bedroom, my mom and dad. And my mom had this silvery wallpaper with bright yellow flowers on it in the kitchen. Thankfully, not on every wall in the kitchen. There was one wall that was wood paneling. And then the trim around the rest of the kitchen was this silvery yellow wallpaper. And wallpaper, I mean, it looks okay if you like patterns like that. But there are so many problems with wallpaper. Number one, you're stuck with it. You can't really paint over wallpaper. I mean, you can try, but it never works. And when you try to tear it off the wall, even if you steam it, most of the time it tears pieces of the cover of the sheetrock off with it. 
So then you're left with a wall that has all little pock marks in it, all little gouges, all little scratches. So when you paint it, you see all that. So the thing with wallpaper is it's a permanent solution. You better make sure you love that wallpaper and that your tastes will never change. And how often does that happen? So I was just as glad to see wallpaper kind of go the way of the wood paneling. We don't see it too much anymore. Another one that we see less of these days, laminate countertops. Now, when I say laminate, I'm talking like a Formica countertop. You know, that white countertop that you see in most TV kitchens from the 70s and the 80s. You know, Formica was a big brand name back then, but there were other kinds. They were super easy to clean, super easy to install, super easy to take care of. But somewhere along the line, Formica and other laminate countertops were just determined to be cheap. Well, they are. They don't cost nearly as much as a marble countertop or a granite countertop or a quartz countertop. Those are all the high-end things that people want now. Unless you're going really low end of the scale, you can't find a laminate countertop anymore. Everybody's got to have marble. Everybody's got to have granite. I blame those house hunter shows. How many times have you seen somebody walk in and say, Oh, this laminate countertop. (laughs) We got to get rid of that. We need granite. I mean, you know, it's a countertop. How about popcorn ceilings? Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a popcorn ceiling? That's that thing they used to do to the ceilings to make it look like it was nubby. Like there was popcorn stuck to it. It gave it texture. Gave it a three-dimensional feel. Kind of gave the room a different kind of look. Except, of course, it became a dust trap and a place where cobwebs went to live forever. Have you ever tried to dust a popcorn ceiling? I mean, they looked okay, but A, they were hard to paint, and B, as I said, they collected dust. You can't get a popcorn ceiling to look clean. So thankfully, popcorn ceilings have gone the way of the dodo. Another thing that's gone the way of the dodo is the concept of wall-to-wall carpeting. It used to be that carpet everywhere was the height of luxury. You wanted a place with wall-to-wall carpets. You covered every inch of floor with carpeting. And in a lot of houses and apartments in the 60s and the 70s, it was that long shag rug. It wasn't anything short. It wasn't a Berber style. It had long strands on it. It would come in many colors. The 60s and 70s had purple and orange. And they were shaggy. I mean, when I say shag, they were shaggy. The strands would come off, they'd be two, three inches long. You would leave trails when you vacuumed on them. And having carpeting on every inch of the floor, from the time you entered the house, down the hall, into the living room, into the family room, covering all of the bedrooms if possible, that was high-end stuff. The only place you didn't shag carpet was the kitchen. Hard to clean up the kitchen spills on a shag carpet. I'm actually thankful that shag carpeting and wall-to-wall carpeting is less of a thing now. I mean, I like carpeting in certain rooms. Give me a carpeted bedroom. I like the stairs having carpet on them. But you know what? A nice large area rug in the living room a rug under the dining room table with nice hardwood floors showing through, that looks good. Back in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, we didn't do that. That looked cheap. That looked low end. Nowadays, having a nice wood floor and an area rug on top of it, that's the way to go. So those are some of the things that I grew up with. Those are some of the ideas that I grew up with. Those are some of the normal things, or at least things that were supposed to be normal, that were part of my everyday life. And the fact that those things are now basically history got me to thinking about what's going on now. What do we have now? What's part of our lives now that in 10 years is going to be history? One of the first things I thought of was the concept of getting lost. And by getting lost, I'm not just talking about a long trip from New Jersey to California or even from New Jersey to Pennsylvania. 
if you're looking for a small town in Pennsylvania, what you used to have to do is open the road map, find the route from your house to where you were going, hope you could get a street map of the area that you were going to so you could find the street that the address was on. And then when you finally got to that street and you had the number in front of you, 1548, you'd be driving down the street and doing something like this. Okay, the even numbers are on the right side. The odd numbers are on the left. 1548 is going to be on the right. This house is 1000, so we got to keep going. Okay, this is 1100. Okay, this is 1200. We're getting there. We're getting there. That's how you would find a place. Nowadays, you just plug the street address into the app on your phone and you get there. You get step-by-step directions. Your destination is three quarters of a mile up on the right. You have arrived at your destination. But that's not just the getting lost that I'm talking about. We can't get lost now walking down the street. If you're walking three blocks to an appointment at an office you've never been to before, you can do the exact same thing. Just punch in the street address and it'll take you there. The only possible way to get lost is on the elevator, getting off on the wrong floor. Because of our phones, because of the GPS, because we're always carrying our location with us, even if we wanted to get lost, we can't get lost anymore. Bugs Bunny's line, I should have turned left at Albuquerque, won't work anymore. Because your GPS will tell you, go left. You know what else you're not going to have to worry about in the future? Parallel parking. I remember practicing parallel parking for my driving test. And I've talked about this before. When I was getting ready to take my driving test, I set up cones in the driveway. I spaced it out. I measured the distance of what the parking space should be. I'd drive my car along the top of the driveway, just past the parking spot. I'd line up the cones. I'd carefully go backwards. I'd cut the wheel as I started my maneuver. When my front seat got even with the cone that marked the back of the imaginary car that was in front of me, I'd cut the wheel the other way, and I'd settle into my parking spot. And if I hit the cone, or if I was too far away from the curb, I'd start it all over again. And I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced. And I remember, the first thing they did on the driving test was the parallel parking. If you could not pass the parallel parking part of the test, they didn't give you the rest of the test. They sent you home. They said, you fail. Come back when you can parallel park. Parallel parking was the bane of every young driver's existence. And I get it. It's a challenging thing. It's hard to do. It's not impossible. It takes practice. But most people don't want to be bothered. They'll keep driving along until they find a spot that's easy to get into. Or a parking lot. But now, not only do we have cameras on our cars to make it easier, but the cars are being fitted with the self-parking mechanisms. So you have one of two ways to go. You can either rely on the cameras on your car, and some cars even have little sensors that if you're close, they make a little noise when you're trying to park. But other cars, you just hit it into auto park and it slides your car into the parking spot for you. So parallel parking is going to be history. We're never going to have to know how to parallel park again. And that's all thanks to technology. While we're on cars, the other thing that's going to be gone, gas stations. Maybe not in 10 years, maybe 15. We're also used to pulling into a gas station, gassing up our car. I've been doing it for decades. You gas up your car. That's the only way to get from point A to point B. Put gas in the car. In the not-too-distant future, gas stations are going to be history. They may be replaced by charging stations, or the charging stations may be built in completely different locations, and you'll go to a place and plug in. Or stores, if they still exist, will have their parking lots equipped with charging stations. You'll pay a fee when you get to the store, You'll plug in and you'll charge your car while you're shopping. Your place of business may have charging stations. Every house will have a charging station. To the extent that we still have motor vehicles in 10 to 15 years, you're not going to need a gas station anymore. The other thing you're not going to need for your car? 
My prediction, within 10 years, tops. You're not going to need a key. You're not even going to need that fob they give you now. If you happen to own one of those cars with a push-button start and you have to have that key fob to start the car, you're not going to need that anymore either. Everything's going to be on a mobile app. We all carry our smartphones with us anyway. We never leave the house without them. In order to start your car, the companies are going to send you a code unique to your car that you download on your mobile app, and that's how you're going to start your car. They don't want to spend the money to make a key. They don't want to spend the money to make a key fob anymore. Those things are expensive. They'll send you a code. So much cheaper. Easily hackable, but they won't care. They'll give you encryption. They'll say you'll be fine. But I'm telling you, they're not going to keep footing the bill for keys, for key fobs. It's all going to be a mobile app. And you know what else mobile apps are going to replace? I'm predicting. You can mark it down, play this back in 10 years. Remote control devices for your TV, for your sound system, for your DVD player, if you're still playing DVDs. You're not going to get a remote control anymore. Nowadays, you buy a new TV, they automatically include a remote. Your cable company now includes a remote anytime you get new service. They're going to do the same thing. They're going to replace all that with an app. I'm telling you, the remote controls for your TVs, they don't want to keep making them. Much easier to make an app. Download it to your cell phone. You take it with you everywhere anyway. You'll have it in the bedroom when you go upstairs to watch at night. When you come down in the morning, you bring your phone with you. You turn on your TV with your phone. You switch the channels with your phone. You won't even have to punch in numbers. You'll just tell your app, put on Good Morning America, and it will. Here's what else is going to be gone in 10 years, maybe 15. And the pandemic has made this especially apparent how easy this will be to have happen. Waiters in restaurants. Waiters in restaurants are not going to be necessary. I don't know if you've been into a fast food place recently, but you don't even have to put your order in at the counter anymore. They have a giant tablet, for lack of a better term, with the entire menu on it. And you can page through the tablet menu. And then you just click on the thing you want. And that gets fed back to the kitchen, and they start making your food, and that's how you place your order now. Taco Bell, McDonald's, Wendy's, all of these places, at least near me, use this giant tablet technology. Before the pandemic, if you went out to a place like Applebee's or Chili's or any of those chain restaurants, you could pay your bill at the end just by scanning your card into that little card reader they had on the table. You know, the one where they tried to sell you games to keep you busy while your food was cooking. But what they're going to do is they're going to hand you one of those when you walk in the door. That's going to have the entire menu on it, and you're going to place your order that way. They may keep waiters at high-end restaurants so they can still have that fancy fond-fond kind of attitude. Maybe a country club here or there will have the waiters as well. But you don't need them. Not with technology the way it is today. So they're going to transition over to this giant tablet menu slash ordering system. Ten years tops. And the last thing that's going to be gone ten to fifteen years from now? Cash. Actual cash. Dollar bills. Five dollar bills. Ten dollar bills. Nickels, dimes, quarters. All gone. Is there going to be a recall of it? No. No. But there's not going to be a need for it because everything is a credit card slash debit card slash PayPal transaction. You're going to PayPal somebody. You're going to Venmo somebody. You're going to transfer money from you to them by way of an app. It'll have to be secure, of course, but everything will be app based. Even if you go to a garage sale, everybody's going to have an app. They're not going to want to touch your dirty money, especially after a pandemic. So people will welcome the cash app economy. Even the people with a garage sale. Now, some people will still want cash. Sure they will. But it's not going to be that much longer before cash is just not something we use anymore. We're not going to get a paycheck. Who gets a paycheck now anyway? Everything's direct deposited. You don't pay for anything on Etsy or eBay. It's all a PayPal transaction. 
When's the last time you paid cash at 7-Eleven for a cup of coffee? When's the last time you paid cash for your groceries? And I've seen people at Comic-Cons, at flea markets, they have card readers now on their phones. You just give them your card and they scan your card and take your information. That'll be $3. Okay. And they scan for $3. That's the way it's going. I'm telling you right now. Cash, we've talked about it for years and years now. But with all the apps out there, with the way we're all so wired into our banking systems, how easy it is to access our money, I'm telling you, cash is just simply not going to be used. What's the phrase? It's going to be relegated to the dustbin of history. You can mark my words. Now, I don't know if any of those predictions are going to come true, but I'm making an educated guess based on stuff that I've already seen come and go in my life. I mean, the busy signal was just a thing that always existed before I was born. And up until about 10 years ago, I never thought there'd be a time where I didn't hear a busy signal. When calculators made their first appearance, I said, what an innovation. Okay, I didn't say it like that. But I knew it was a cool thing. But now, I still have some calculators in the bottom of a drawer. I never use them. There's an app on my phone for that. So all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, car keys, remote controls, gas stations, the disappearance of cash. You know, based on what I've seen, I think those are all very realistic possibilities. I guess the only thing we're going to be able to do is check back in 10 years and see how accurate I was. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of things. As always, I appreciate your support. I appreciate your kindness. And I thank you for being here. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.